Amen. Woo. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about next Sunday. I'm excited about this Sunday, too. And uh, I just feel like God is doing something great in our midst. He's doing something great in our church. He's doing something great in our city and in our country. And I believe that right now is a now time. That God is saying to us as a church that right now is time for you to step fully into the purposes and the plans that he has for us as a church and as individuals, as Christians, to really go after what God has for us. And so next weekend as we come, I've been praying. I I feel like God has dropped a number in my heart to to give next weekend. But I want to share with you this morning a message that... um, really is simply this, that your worship, whether it's in your giving or your time or your offering or giving God your gifts or whatever it is in your serving, that your worship to him is, is not a requirement, but it is a response to his goodness. It's a response to the goodness and the grace that God has poured out lavishly upon us. It's not a re- religious requirement that you have to come next weekend and give a big fat check in the offering basket, although we'd love you to. But the reality is it's a response that says, God, everything that I have is yours. So I'm going to come with an offering next Sunday that, that belongs to you anyway. And I'm going to invest in the kingdom of God so that people can come to know Jesus. And let me tell you, friends, there's no greater investment than the kingdom. There is no greater investment than seeing people's lives impacted and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's not a requirement. It's a response. And so this morning, I want to share a message with you in the Above and Beyond series that we've been in. The title of the message is Extravagant Love Equals Extravagant Worship. Extravagant Love Equals Extravagant Worship. And we're going to turn to the book of Luke and to a story in Luke chapter 7 of a, a woman who brought extravagant worship to the feet of Jesus because of Jesus's extravagant love that she had experienced So if you've got your Bible or your device, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And as you're doing that, I just want to read to you a definition of the word extravagant. Webster's Dictionary defines extravagant as exceeding the limits of reason. Going above and beyond what is reasonable. Lacking in moderation or balance. And restraint. I love the word balance in our world today. How many ever gone to like a leadership thing or maybe in your own life and it's like, I'm trying to get balance in my life, you know, balance out the different requirements. And I think balance is far-fetched idea. I don't know about you, but it just seems like it actually requires more work to get to balance than it does just to, to, to walk in the fullness of what God has for your life. To, to really just elevate him first, to seek him first, and the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. No balance, not a little bit of me, a little bit of him, but actually going over and above and beyond in surrender to Jesus and allowing Jesus to look after the details in my life. Amen? So extravagance is lacking in moderation, balance, and restraint. Extremely or excessively elaborate, spending much more than necessary. Spending much more than necessary. And that's exactly what we see in this story in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read through the story 
And then I'll go back and try and unpack some of the things that God has been showing me in this story. But just to give you a bit of a context as to where this story happens in the seventh chapter of the book of Luke is Jesus has already uh, come and he's already began his ministry. He's done miracles. He's raised the dead. He's healed the sick. And in the chapter just previous to this, John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we have been waiting for as the Jewish people? There was a promised savior that they've been waiting for for years that, that was in the Old Testament scriptures. There's foreshadows throughout the Old Testament. And they come to him, they say, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the savior? And Jesus's response is this, go and tell John that the things, go and tell him the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Let me tell you, that is the ministry of Jesus, and it's still happening today. That the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. He's raising the dead. Maybe you've never seen somebody physically raised from the dead, but spiritually, he is raising dead people to life through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God is still working miracles. He's a miracle working God. He is the one. He is the Savior. And this is the context as to where we pick up in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Jesus is at that point, at this point, kind of like an itinerant minister. And he's traveling and he's speaking and teaching and preaching and healing the sick and doing miracles. And it's likely that that afternoon, before we pick up this story, Jesus was teaching possibly at the temple. And it was a a requirement in those days. It was tradition that the religious leader of the house would invite the, the guest speaker over for lunch after the message. And this is what we read happens. So verse 36 says this. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house. He accepted his invitation and he went in and sat down to eat. Now, I'm just going to pause there for a second. It's interesting to me that Jesus actually received many invitations. If you read through the Gospels, he received invitations to come over and eat at somebody's house. He loved eating so much that there's a story where he saw Zacchaeus. He actually invited himself over to Zacchaeus's house. So I'm going to come over to your house today, get down off of that tree. We're going to go eat and fellowship together. And here's the interesting thing. And the point that I want to make with this is that no matter where you're at, Jesus will always receive your invitation. That he actually has done the work to invite you into the kingdom, to invite you into his life. And no matter where you're at, we'll read in this story that Simon, the Pharisee, his heart wasn't in the right place, but Jesus still received the invitation. And no matter where you're at, if you would invite Jesus into your mess, if you would invite Jesus into the struggle, if you would invite Jesus into your reality, he would be present with you in the midst of whatever you're going through in your life. He never rejected an invitation. And it says this in verse 37, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee 
who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, listen to this. This is amazing. You got to pay attention to the words in scripture. He didn't say it out loud. It says he spoke to himself. He thought or he spoke to him. How many ever had a conversation with yourself? You'll see from this story, Jesus actually knows your thoughts before they ever leave your lips. You might have thoughts that go through your mind and you might think that nobody knows them. Jesus knows them. He knows everything that's going on in that abyss called the brain of mine. He sees it before I ever even speak it. He knows it and he knows the thoughts of Simon the Pharisee's heart before he, he doesn't even speak it. And we see here that Jesus knows the thoughts that he has. So when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is and who is touching him for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other owed him 50. Now in those days, a denarii was one day's worth of wage. So in today's equivalence currency, it would be equivalent to probably like a year and a half worth of wages for the one who owed 500 denarii. It would would probably be somewhere around $100,000. And the other guy owed 50. It was maybe like $10,000. It was a lot more. But that doesn't really matter. As we see here, verse 42 says, they had nothing, nothing which to repay. And he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them would love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Verse 47, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, began to say to themselves again, who is this that even forgives sins? Let me tell you, friends, it was a question back then that they asked of Jesus. Can he forgive sins? They knew that only God could forgive sins. And if anybody has ever said that Jesus never claimed to be God, the very fact that he says to this woman, your sins are forgiven. The Jewish people knew that he was saying that he was God in the flesh and he had the power to forgive sins. And today's the same is true. Jesus Christ is the only one that can forgive you of all of your sins. There's nobody else. There's no work that you can do. There's no religion that you can belong to. There's no amount of money that you can pay. There's nobody that can pray for you. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you and I can be forgiven of all of our sins. And he said to the woman, 
Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this story because it's a picture for us of what a true and right response is to the gospel. It's a picture of extravagant worship that had nothing to do with music. I love our worship team and Pastor Michael and the the moments that we encounter God in worship. But extravagant worship goes beyond a Sunday morning experience. Extravagant worship goes beyond when you're in your kitchen and you play worship music. This, what we see here, has nothing to do with music. It's a response. It's an extravagant response that this woman has to the extravagant love and mercy and grace that she encounters in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's a lifestyle. It's part of her whole being. The scripture that was stirring in my heart this morning as we were worshiping is that Jesus says, I think it's in one of the Psalms, he says, I don't require sacrifice. He says, I want a broken and contrite heart. And we know the scripture that says where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. That's a picture of what extravagant worship looks like. It's saying that Jesus and what he's done is more than enough. That Jesus and what he's done, if he never does another thing for me, if he never answers another prayer for me, 2,000 years ago, he went to the cross, he gave his life, he shed his blood, and that's more than enough because of that. I'm now alive and forgiven in Jesus Christ. He's more than enough. And this woman in this story, she wasn't wasn't on her knees trying to earn the forgiveness of God. It wasn't some expression that she was saying, please forgive me. Look at the, the adoration that I have for you. It was a response. And just like this woman, friends, we don't need to try and earn God's favor or his forgiveness. We just need to receive it by faith. Recognize our need and receive it by faith. And we will have a response of extravagant worship. Verse 37. I just want to go back to it for a second. It says, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. There's all sorts of speculation about who this woman was. There are actually translations that say that she was a woman of the night, that she was a prostitute, that she earned her living by selling her body. And so it doesn't really matter actually, actually what her reputation or what her job was or what she did. The fact is that she lived with a label. She was a sinner and everyone knew it. Everyone knew that she was a sinner. Everybody in that whole small community knew that she was a sinner. And she lived with this label. And I wonder how long she lived with this overarching shadow in her life. Because people knew her faults. Because people knew her failures. And she lived with this label. I don't know about you, but I know what it's like to live with a label. And I'm not talking about the label that somebody else puts on me. I'm talking about the script that goes in my mind that says you're a failure. You're not worth it. That you cannot make it. That you're not worthy. That you are so broken. 
That you're, you, you've messed up too much. These labels that the enemy and condemnation tries to put on us. But let me tell you, friends, Jesus, when he looks at you, he doesn't judge you on your performance. He sees you for your value. He sees beyond your lifestyle. He sees beyond your performance. And he looks to who he created you to be. And he loves you for who you are. He loves you for who you are. He loves you because he created you. He made you and he gave his life for you. He loved you so much that he was willing to die so that he didn't have to live without you. And I believe that this morning, God would want us to set ourselves free. He would want to set us free from the labels that we place on our lives. Ugly, useless Loser, pathetic, stupid, hopeless, worthless, failure. These labels are erased by the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees who you actually are. And I honestly don't think that this was the first time that this woman encountered Jesus. I think that what we see in the tears are enough evidence to me to to show us that she actually probably heard the message of the kingdom before this moment. And she came prepared. She brought an offering. She was wanting to show her thankfulness. She was wanting to show her adoration for her Savior. And she'd experienced his grace and the message of forgiveness. Verse 38 says this. She brought with her an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the jar or wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Before Jesus even said one word in this story, The tears and the extravagant worship tell us that something has already happened in her life. Something has already happened and she expressed it. She expressed her love by experiencing his love and giving her love to him in extravagant worship. And then there's Simon, the Pharisee. And honestly, as as much as I hate to admit this, I think there's a little bit of Simon in all of us. Simon treats Jesus like an unwanted house guest. It was custom in those days that when somebody came to your house, you would greet them with a kiss. That you would anoint their head with oil. That you would either provide them with water so that they could wash their feet, or you would have a servant wash their feet for them. And many of us, like Simon, we invite Jesus into our lives. But there's parts of our lives, there's things in our lives where we treat him like an unwanted house guest. Oh, sure, we worship him, but it's minimal at best. Simon thought that Jesus should have known the sinfulness of the woman. But Simon failed to recognize who Jesus actually was. Simon was a religious leader that couldn't get past the sinfulness of this woman. And he thought that if Jesus were a true prophet, he would know who this woman was and that she was a sinner. And that if he knew that, there was no way that he would let this woman close to her, close to him. There was no way that Jesus would let her come that close. Simon was stuck in religion. He was bound up with the law of obedience. 
And I believe that God wants obedience in our lives. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It will be a response. If you love me, you will have no problem keeping my commandments. We don't keep them because we need to earn some sort of favor with God. We keep the commandments of God in a place of extraordinary worship because we've experienced his extraordinary love. You see, religion focuses on the sinfulness of a person. But faith sees the glory of the one who forgives all of our sins. Religion treats Jesus like an unwanted house guest. When our love is for Jesus is clouded with religion, with religious obligation, feeling like we have to. Feeling like we have to hit all the check marks and what it looks like to be a good Christian. When we see worship as a requirement and not a response. It's because we fail to recognize how much God's love has been lavished upon us. We fail to recognize how rich and how deep and how wide his love is. And that's why, and I, I just felt this scripture was dropped in my heart this morning. Our kind of anchor scripture is in the book of Ephesians for this series, Above and Beyond. And it, it's, it says that, you know, whatever you ask, he is, he is able to do above and beyond all that you think and all that you ask. But listen to this, friends. Look at what Paul, when he prays for the church of Ephesus, look at what he links that to. In the book of Ephesians, he's praying for the church. And in verse 7 of chapter 3, he says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And then verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you think or ask, according to the power that works in us. See, here's the thing. Love is a powerful thing. Love is a powerful thing. And it is best expressed by Jesus Christ when he gave his life for those that he loves, for you and me. And freely we are to give away Freely we are to go above and beyond. Why? Because he went above and beyond. And our above and beyond is not just meant to be an above and beyond Sunday. But it's supposed to go above and beyond Sunday. So that we give him our Monday. We give him our Tuesday. We give him our Wednesday. We give him our Thursday. We give him our Friday. We give him our Saturday. Seven days. 365. Every day of the year. Every step. Every breath that we have is his. Because he purchased us. He redeemed us. He brought us back from death. It's a response of his love. And love is a powerful thing. The story that Jesus tells us to understand this depth of love, we find in, back in Luke chapter 7, verse 41 to 43, says this. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed $100,000 and the other owed $10,000. Let me tell you, friends, it doesn't matter if you're a $100,000 sinner or a $10,000 sinner. Both of you, both of us, we don't have anything of which to repay that sin debt. 
And the point of this story that Jesus tells has nothing to do with how good or how bad of a sinner you are. It has everything to do that you owe a debt that you cannot repay. And freely the debtor came and he freely wiped it clean. He paid and released us of all of our sin. He washes us clean and wipes the slate clean and gives us a brand new start. Says this, it said, they had nothing of which to repay, and he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which will love him more? It's interesting to me that Jesus links these two things together. Recognizing our sinfulness and response of loving him. It's interesting because in our world today, in most of our churches today, we don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about how much our sin and our wickedness actually cost the Father. But I'll tell you something. It was a price that he was willing to pay because he loves us. And only him could pay the debt that you and I owed. Jesus forgives us of all of our sins. Timothy Keller puts it this way. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. Your sin doesn't exclude you from the love of Jesus. It actually qualifies you. It excludes you from religion. Simon was focused on the sinfulness of this woman, but Jesus saw the value that he placed on her, not because she was a sinner, but because she was created for him and by him because he was willing to be her savior. Love looks like something. And our worship is to exceed reasonable limits when we experience his love. And the only right response to such a glorious display of love is to freely give him everything that we are, not just your check in the offering basket next Sunday. But God actually wants your heart. And when he has your heart, whatever he asks of you, you'll freely give it to him. Whatever he asks of you, you'll freely give it to him. It's an overflow of the goodness and the grace of God that we have in Christ. John 15 verse 13 says this. Greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus went above and beyond in expressing his love for all of humanity when he laid down his life. He was willing to completely give up his life for us so that we could find life. And my question to you this morning, friends, is are you willing to do the same? Are you willing to give Jesus everything? This woman came and she broke this alabaster jar, a fragrant, costly perfume. And in those days, women would receive uh, this gift from their parents. And it was probably the most expensive prized possession that she owned. And it was meant to be a dowry for when she found a husband. And it's interesting that we see this here, that she brings this offering to the feet of Jesus. And she doesn't just sprinkle a little bit on his feet, but she breaks it and pours it on the feet of Jesus. She spends it all. She gives it all. 
And the Bible refers to Jesus as, as, as the groom and us as the bride. And I wonder what he would ask of us this morning if we would bring him our everything in devotion and love and response to his great love for us. Galatians 2, chapter 20 says this, Paul, who said, I die daily. He, we understand that it's actually a daily battle. It's, it feels like it should be a one-time thing, but it's not. He says in Romans 12, he says, I beseech you, brethren. He's like, I beg you to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And the problem with the living sacrifice is it always wants to get off of the altar. That's why Paul says, I die daily. I put myself back on the altar so that God can do what he wants with my life. And let me tell you, friends, if your Christianity is boring, could it be that it's because you haven't fully surrendered every area of your life? It's the only right response to his love. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you've ever heard a message or a gospel that tells you that you can come and receive Christ and not give him your life completely, you've heard a lie. Pastor Ben said it this morning that if you want to find your life, you need to give it away. And that word that Paul uses for life here is the word zoe. It's over and above. It's abundant life. It's the fullness of life. And the only way that you'll ever experience it is to get on your knees and say, God, my life is completely yours. And bring him that costly sacrifice of everything that you are. Do you know what it would have cost her? It wasn't just the financial cost and sacrifice. But she had all the whole crowd watching her. It was emotional. It was in society where people judged her, but she didn't care who was watching. She didn't care. She brought extravagant service. Marked by washing his feet. I'm going to invite Michael back up. She brought him extravagant service. Marked by washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. She brought extravagant surrender. Marked by the relentless kissing of his feet. And she brought extravagant sacrifice. Not just a little bit of this costly fragrant oil. But everything she had. She gave it all. She didn't care who was watching. Even though we don't deserve it. Even though we can't earn it. Jesus is asking us now. Would we receive his love and his forgiveness So that the overflow would be an expression of worship towards him that wouldn't just be for a moment, but it would be for a lifestyle. Every step and every moment that we take of our lives would be his and not our own. God showed his amazing, extravagant love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to ask you all to stand to your feet this morning. The point this morning that I'm trying to make is that extravagant worship to Jesus, giving him everything that we are, is is not a requirement. It's not religious duty. 
It's a response to this sin debt that we've been forgiven. To this love that we've experienced by God the Father sending his son Jesus Christ. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life by faith in what Jesus did on the cross. There's two promises that he gives this woman. If you're here this morning and you've never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. You know that you're not right with God. Maybe you want to become a Christian this morning. I believe that these promises are for you in this place. See, Jesus says to this woman in verse 48, he says, your sins are forgiven. He says, no matter what you've done, no matter what your life has looked like, no matter what sort of sins or how you've blown it or how much of a mess your life is, he receives you, accepts you, and washes you clean of all of your sin. He took it on the cross by shedding his blood. Your sins are forgiven. And then in verse 50, he says to her, he says, your faith has saved you. Not your worship, not your church attendance, not your giving. He says, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. That word peace, he says, is the word shalom. It means completeness, wholeness. And it's only in Jesus, friend, that you can find peace for your souls. So I'm going to ask that every eye is closed and every head is bowed right now. And if you're in this place and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you right now just to slip up your hand so I can pray with you. If you're here and you want to become a Christian, you want to receive the forgiveness of God, I'm going to ask you right now, go ahead, put your hand up. I'm looking to my left. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus, just slip your hand up, up in the balcony on my left. Come on, don't wait. This is your moment right in the middle. If there's anyone that wants to become a Christian today, go ahead, lift your hand up. You're coming to Jesus by faith. You're receiving his forgiveness. Praise God. And to my right, anybody, if you want to give your life to Jesus, just go ahead and slip your hand up at the top. God bless you, man. He sees you. He sees you, man. He loves you. Anybody downstairs to my right, you want to give your life to Jesus. This is your moment. Bible says today, now is the time of salvation. Just go ahead and slip your hand up so I can pray with you. All right, if you didn't put your hand up, but you know you should have, I want to give you an opportunity just to pray this prayer along with the brother who put his hand up. And all it is is confessing that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. So if you're ready, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today a sinner, but I receive your gift of forgiveness. By faith, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that you rose from the grave, And that today I can have a fresh start in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, church. Why don't we give God praise? Come on. The Bible says that all of heaven stops and celebrates when one sinner repents. And there was one brother this morning that gave his life to Jesus. And I would invite you, maybe again, you didn't pray, but you know you should have. We've got a new life banner right over here. And Sheldon and Vicki are there. If you want to accept Christ, if you want a Bible, come and see them. We want to connect with you and help you take the next steps in your journey. For the rest of us, church, I want to give us an opportunity to respond to the goodness and the grace of Jesus. 
And I want to invite you as we begin to worship in this song to get out of your seats, to be like that woman that came to the feet of Jesus and just come and surrender those parts of your life that you know that Jesus is asking of you to surrender. Maybe there's areas, maybe it's your time, maybe it's your gifts, maybe it's something else. I want to invite you right now as we begin to worship to get out of your seat. It doesn't matter who's watching. This is a moment between you and God. He wants your heart this morning. So go ahead and come as we worship Jesus this morning.